Hi, I'm Anthony. Um, I'm the pastor of Valley Hope. Um, I just haven't been here for three months or so. Um, it is good to be back here. Um, my family, all of us, were just excited to be here. We told our kids, like, we get to go back to Valley Hope this Sunday, and they were like, yes, we get to go back. Um, it was, uh, if you didn't know, if you don't know me, I've been on sabbatical for, for three months, and uh, that was planned. Um, it was, it, our denomination recommends that pastors, all our pastors do that um, every seven years, and um, I, I became a pastor almost eight years ago, and um, we just decided to make this a practice for our, for our church, and um, I know that that took a lot of generosity and work on a lot of other people, um, and I'm really grateful for the, everybody's work, because I know that when I step out of the picture that a lot of people have to pick a lot of things up, um, you know, I'm grateful to the elders, um, they, I left them right after we had the largest new members class ever, um, and all of those people have to have a conversation with an elder just to know how we know how to take care of them, and, you know, I left that in their hands, and, uh, I left every Sunday in the hands of people like Samantha and Jeremiah and every one of our worship leaders, um, you know, I wasn't on, on point for that, they were, and I, I know that that's, that's work. Um, so I'm really grateful to everyone who's had a part in, in keeping things running here. But I'm glad to be back. I've missed you very much. You certainly were on my mind. I mean, I was having a lot of fun. I, I don't hide that at all. Um, I was happy to be having a lot of fun with my family. Um, I, my family and I were talking as this period of time was ending. I was saying, I was doing the math, and seven years from now, theoretically, I would do this again. Uh, my daughter, oldest daughter, will have just graduated from high school, and my next daughter will have just graduated from middle school, and my son will have just graduated from elementary school, and Hope will just be in third grade, um, fourth grade. Um, but obviously, that's a quite a significant year, 2026, and I know how quickly these seven years went in my family's life. And to know that all those significant things are coming down the road for us just as a family, not to mention what God has for us as a church in the next seven years. So I was really grateful to spend that time with my family. We spent a lot of time together. Um, a lot. And it was very good. It, it was very good. Um, but I'm glad to be back here spending time with my larger family, my spiritual family. Um, so thank you for letting me, letting me do that. And thank you for letting me come back. <laughs> uh, Tom said, uh, Tom Bridges, we were at the service at the middle school on whatever that was, Thursday. And he said, glad you're back. It's time for those marathon services to be back on Sunday. And I was like, that's right. I'm preaching for 50 minutes on day one. Um, yeah. So I, I, haven't, I haven't preached in three months. This is. Uh, it's been 10 years since I've gone that long without preaching, so who knows what's going to happen here this morning. Um, for the next three Sundays, I want to talk about some things that, that I was thinking about and reading about and praying about as I was away from you. Um, and, and this morning, I want to talk about the Sabbath. Um, 
was sort of top of my list of things that I needed to pay attention to while I was gone for obvious reasons. I was on sabbatical. Uh, so I have a bunch of, of scriptures that we're going to read together. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be, it'll be on the screen. Um, don't worry. I'm, I know I only preach usually on one passage, and we're going to read like six of them. Don't think that that means you're going to get six sermons. I don't think that's going to happen, but don't hold me to it. We're going to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, um, Genesis 1. The end of Genesis 1, though. This is the... Uh, the end of the creation, the first account of creation, the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, you can turn to the book of Leviticus, everybody's favorite book of the Bible. Leviticus has a lot to say about the Sabbath. I'm just going to read one verse right now from Leviticus 23. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Keep your finger there and turn to Deuteronomy 15. One through 15. At the end of every seven years, you should grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hands shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I commanded you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart 
or shut your hand against your poor brother, and you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart when you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye would grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you'd be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging and give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. But there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. In the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. When you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Turn back to Leviticus. These are not all the Sabbath passages. I'm skipping quite a few. Leviticus 25. I'm actually going to start at verse 8. I, I had been, I hadn't put from verse 1. I'm going to just put on verse 8 for verse 8. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years. So the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound, uh, sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and, you sh and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property, and each of you shall return to his clan, that fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. And it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. And this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor. According to the number of years after the Jubilee, he shall sell to you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. If the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it's the number of the crops that is he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I'll command my blessing on you in the sixth year. So it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop. And you shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives. Finally, turn to the Gospel of Mark. Verse 23, two, chapter 2, verse 23. <clears throat> One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also give to those who are with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, to do harm, to save life, or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word does not reflect our own mind and our own intentions, but in fact reflects the mind and intentions of God. And Father, we pray that you would speak to your people this morning, not just in the hearing of the word, but in the application of it. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would turn over our lives and uproot the very deep roots of sin that wind their way to the middle of who we are. We pray, God, that even this morning we might hear your proclamation of liberty and invitation to rest. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. I know that was quite a lot to read together. Um, it's a lot of Old Testament, a lot of Pentateuch, a lot of law there. I, I imagine that you don't spend a lot of time rec for recreation reading the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And I get it. I, I understand. Although I do think Deuteronomy is way underrated. I strongly recommend a regular reading of Deuteronomy. Um, but I wanted you to hear some of the scope of God's instruction on this thing that is the Sabbath. And to hear that for Israel and for the whole people of God, it is rooted in the creation of the world, and it is elaborated on at multiple levels for all of Israel. So we actually read several sets of Sabbath instruction. The short verse, keep the Sabbath holy, is referring to the weekly Sabbath that Israel was commanded to observe, both that day and you know, on special festival days. These were had regularly, regular Sabbath of God. And in Deuteronomy 15, we read about a Sabbath year, that every seven years there would be a Sabbath in the land, that these Sabbath principles extended beyond just the individual day of Sabbath, but actually commanded of Israel a larger obedience that resulted in leaving crops where they grew, that resulted in the resolution of debts, and the people in all the land were blessed by a regular Sabbath. And then there is a Sabbath of Sabbaths, a mega Sabbath, which is the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee is this massive reordering of Israelite society. Every 50 years, there's this proclamation that all those families who had been dispossessed 
by debt and had to sell their land. Everything gets reset. So if people had been needing to sell themselves into slavery, which was a common practice to pay off debts, their slavery was unbound. They were released and free. If they had to sell their land to acquire cash to keep living, that land was re-given to them. So it prevented large-scale perpetual poverty. And it gave the land this big, sweeping view of rest. This year of jubilee is what it's called. Jubilee proclaimed to the land. And from all of our records, we have no indication that Israel ever observed a year of jubilee. There is no record that Israel ever obeyed that command. Now, they may have. We, we don't know. But certainly the law commanded it. Sabbath is part of Israel's society because it is part of the way that God made the world. The days of creation are ordered such that the people of Israel are reminded that God creates everything. He doesn't need any help to do it. And he fills those domains of life with things to teem with life. So he creates the skies, and there's a corresponding day where he creates the birds to fill the skies. He creates the seas, and there's another day where he creates the life to teem within the sea. He creates the land, and then he, on another day, on the sixth day, he creates life to teem within the land. And then, at the apex of creation, he makes people to bear his image, to reflect to the world the nature of the Creator God as a living demonstration of what the King of Heaven and Earth is like. And the very first act that they are called to enact with God is to rest. Because on the seventh day, God relaxes in, in repose and in delight. And he says, I have done good. It is all done. And it is good. And instead of humanity on day seven being told, now, do that thing that I told you. Multiply, fill the earth, get to going on this. The very first full day that they are called to observe is a day where they too, with God, sit back and watch and say, he's done good. And it's all done. Fundamental to humanity's story is the day of Sabbath, the very first day of humanity's story. A recognition that God is sufficient and he is delightful. And God himself delights in what he's meant. And it is from Sabbath that humanity is launched into their mission. Okay, Adam and Eve, see what God has done. See that it is good. And now that you see and understand, go and reflect his image of delight and rest and creativity. And in some sense, extend the borders of the Garden of Eden all the way to the edge of creation. Go and do that. Of course, everything is dramatically twisted and pulled apart. When something comes into the garden and counteracts the proclamation that all is well, that God is good and he has done good and will continue to do good, 
when the serpent comes and whispers to our first parents and says, might it be true that God will not do good to you? That he will, in fact, withhold from you? And everything cascades and falls apart in the story of sin from that moment. And when Israel is given their law, what they are fundamentally told to do is to remember. Remember the true story of the world. That's why this commandment is so centrally important. Remember the Sabbath. Remember what God has done. Remember that he is creator. Remember that he is sustainer. And by the time Israel receives the law, remember that he is the God who has triumphed over Egypt. Remember that he is the God who has delivered you out of Egypt. Remember that he is the God who has split the seas and crushed the enemies of Israel. Remember that he's invited you into the promised land and given you the fruit of the land that you did not plant yourselves and cities that you did not build. Remember that this is who God is. Remember the Sabbath. Remember, remember, remember the Sabbath. Because in so doing, you rightly remember the nature of God and what it means to be one of his people. Leviticus tags that remembrance to all kinds of commandments. Who people sleep with, what they eat, what they do with their money, and they'll just sum up, remember my name, keep my Sabbath holy, keep my tabernacles holy, I am the Lord your God. And they have these regular ritual remembrances every week, every seven years, and every 49 into the 50th year. Remember, remember, remember. And it is important to see that Israel's remembrance extends not just to themselves as individuals, but to how they treat one another, to their left and to their right, and how they treat creation. Because even creation itself gets Sabbath. There's no sense in which they can hook up their, their donkeys to the millstone on Sabbath morning, slap them on the behind, and leave that millstone turning while they rest. They are not allowed to figure out some way to automatically hitch their plow to a livestock, send it to the fields so the fields can still be plowed, so the animals can still work, so the fields will work. They instead have to extend the rest of God to everything, that even the crops themselves get rest. Because Israel is the means by which God proclaims to the whole world that he is the good creator God who made the earth well, who has done good, and will continue to do good to the whole world. And the consequences for failing to observe the Sabbath are severe. There are a number of stories in the Pentateuch where Israel is reminded, if you fail to obey the Sabbath, you die. It's not a recommendation. It's not a, this is a standard, Israel. You should aim for this. This is the law. And if you fail to uphold the Sabbath, you die. And people do die because they fail to obey the Sabbath. 
And Israel lives this story. And we know from prophets that they actually do regularly fail to observe the Sabbath. Regularly fail to observe the Sabbath of Sabbaths. That they do not reorder their society so that the poor are cared for with joy and gladness. But in fact, their society starts to look, well, kind of like ours, where people pursue wealth at the expense of lots of other people. The land does not get rest in their day like it does not get rest in our day. The poor, the widow, the weak, the powerless, creation itself gets crushed on the driving need and hunger for more and for more self-glorification. And the prophets would come to Israel and say to them, you are failing to uphold the covenant. And God has seen your injustice. And he will reckon with this evil. You of all people, Israel, should observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they don't. Not only is Israel in that moment failing one another, failing their poor, failing creation, failing their obligation before God. They're failing the nations around them because the Sabbath is an inactive invitation to the rest of the nations because only in Israel does the Sabbath exist. Nobody else is living on a weekend schedule. The weekend that we have in our culture today is a fiction, a fabrication, is a recent and modern development. People did not do that for a long time. In an agrarian society that Israel lived in, there's no day off. There's not two days off, certainly. The crops are growing every day. You work every day. And when the foreigners, the nations, would look on Israel, they would see, supposed to see, this strange people who would all eerily go silent once a week. And they were supposed to see and to wonder why. Isaiah 56, Isaiah gives a prophecy to the foreigner who comes into the midst of Israel and begins to observe the Sabbath. Says to the foreigner in the eunuch, the one who's been ritually made unclean forever, and says, Because you observe my Sabbath, I will put you into my people permanently. That is the nature of what the Sabbath is supposed to be. So when Israel fails in observing the Sabbath, the whole world is caving in on itself. Nobody, no human is living in their full humanity. Creation is crying out. The nations have been robbed of the witness of the Sabbath. Things are in dire straits. And some groups of people within Israel will say, we have to make absolutely sure that we follow every single rule so we don't get in any more trouble. Don't move too much. Don't take too many steps. Don't do too many things, and we will spell out for you all of the many things that you cannot do to make sure that we don't get close to the rules that God did make. We'll make a bunch of more rules so we don't get close to those rules, and then maybe we won't get in trouble anymore. And it is the context of an unfulfilled Sabbath that Jesus walks into in the Gospels. 
The promise in Deuteronomy was, if you obey me, no one will rule over you. You'll roll over them. Nobody will have to borrow from, you will not have to borrow from anybody. They'll have to borrow from you. And what is going on in Israel except they are perpetually dominated, they are impoverished, they are enslaved. They and their land and all of their people have experienced no Sabbath and no blessing. And it is in that context that Jesus walks in. And he starts to mess with the people who have tried to rebuild the Sabbath way of life through the rules and laws and have failed to see the very heart of the Sabbath itself. So Mark gives us these stories where Jesus feeds his people on the Sabbath. And Jesus tells those scoffing onlookers, you don't understand the Sabbath. This was not made as a burden. It was a means of blessing. People were made for the Sabbath. Not in the sense that they were made to serve it, but they were made to need it. The Sabbath was made for them not to be ruled over by the Sabbath. And then there's another story that immediately follows it, where Jesus confronts the powers of sin and darkness manifested in a person's disfigurement. Because sin happens inside of us, and sin happens to us from the outside. And here is a person who has been disfigured. Their hand is shriveled up. And they are watching Jesus. What will he do today, this healer? And Jesus first addresses their watching eyes. And says, do you think the Sabbath is not for healing? This is basically the nature of this question. What, what, what do you think the Sabbath is for but for this? Stretch out your hand and the person is healed. The Sabbath is made for nourishment and for healing. It is not made for Israel to have a sense of how good and perfect they are. The Sabbath is made so that Israel is reminded of what they actually are and how God provides all that they need. Jesus reasserts this and establishes it by saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is making a, a very clear claim here. Who gets to be the Lord of the Sabbath who instituted the Sabbath, but God himself. And if Jesus is saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's making a very clear claim about his identity as the actual giver of and ruler over the Sabbath. And he's telling us, he's telling Israel, he's telling his disciples, this is what it is for. In the, the book of Leviticus, we read about the year of Jubilee. And it says that you will proclaim this on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur, that from this day forward, the following year is the day of Jubilee. 
a re reassessment of debts, the slate is wiped clean, you'll live off the full produce of the land, you'll have enough for years and years to come. And in Jesus, there is on Passover day, the day that we reckon as the day when our sins are atoned for. A day when Jesus is stretched out and liberty is proclaimed for all the captives of sin and death. And then in his own death, he abolishes the powers of sin and death. That Sabbath was meant to proclaim are, are pitiable and nothing compared to the glory of God. And in his own self-giving love and in his resurrection, on the day that he atones for his people, liberty is proclaimed to every single captive that would see him and respond. And the fruitfulness of his own life is the life then that his people will live on and feast on forever. And there is abundance in his proclamation that is sufficient for every year that will follow. To the people of God who look to Jesus are themselves invited to perpetual Sabbath rest now and forever. That is why we come to Jesus' table every week. That's why the early church talked about should we have communion like twice a day or is once a day enough? Because it is perpetual feasting on the work of Jesus Christ that gives us the kind of perpetual <clears throat> invitational generosity that God has always meant to give to the world. You and I were meant to find our rest in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's Sabbath nature. So everything that needs to be done has been done. It's good, it will be good, and it is good. And God, because of Jesus' work, fully releases the experience of divine delight to his people once again. So if you are, if you are a failed lawbreaker, if you are hungry, if you are poor, if you are crushed, if you feel like your debts are piled so high, the year of Jubilee has been proclaimed over you. You are no longer captive to poverty. You are no longer captive to sin, to being hungry deep down in your belly. But instead, the spiritual Jubilee of God has come. And the thing that God was aiming for has not yet fully come, but will surely come now. Because although everything that needs to be done has been done, not everything has been finalized. We live in the ache of a world that is still riddled and rife with violence and death and disease. And we don't pretend as the people of God that that is not real, or that it's because whatever, we don't have enough faith, or some other nonsense like that. It is because we confess the Sabbath bringer has come, and he is yet coming again. And when he comes, 
He will heal all of our wounds and bring the rest that all of creation, like Paul says, is screaming for. So the land, the people, all of the universe will finally find its resolution in Jesus. People of God, you are called today to hear and remember just like Israel was. And if you come to the Sabbath, your, your inclination is, what are the things that I need to do to really uphold the Sabbath? You need to first hear and remember the heart of the Sabbath with what it is that God has done, what he has extended to you, the way that he has filled your belly, and the way he has extended his healing to you. Today you are called to hear and to remember and then to live. Because the mission of Israel is not different from ours. You are called to invite your neighbors to the feast of God. The feast of God is not just put on the table in front of us for a closed door room. The feast of God is put on the table and we are meant to throw open the doors and say all of the rest that you are longing for, all of the healing that you are dying for, it is here. And our lives and our Sabbath making together are meant to be a proclamation that there is liberty from captivity here. We have a generosity with one another that can tell the world that Jesus is far more generous even than that. We are meant to have a fruitfulness with one another, a Holy Spirit fruitfulness overflowing with the character and abundance of God's life that would be an appeal, an aroma, Paul says, that would beckon in hungry people off the streets. We hear, we remember, we respond both for our sake and our good, so that the poor, the brokenhearted, the hungry among us would not go about being poor and hungry and brokenhearted by themselves, that we would be an agent of healing for one another, not just for our own benefit, but then for the sake of the whole world, that the doors would be thrown open, the aroma of Christ would fill the streets, and people would come running. Where do I find this feast? The feast of God and the Sabbath-keeping people of God would then be spread out before them and say, the king of the whole world is good. He has done good. He will do good. He will finish a good work. He has completed a good work in Jesus, and he will finish that work all the way until it's finalized to the ends of creation. We are called to hear and to remember and to respond with our whole lives for the sake of one another and for the sake of the whole world. All the law, Jesus says, is summed up in this. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Sabbath-giving, Sabbath-making God of the whole universe. If you are broken and weary this morning, he has enough for you. If you have been enslaved and downhearted and downtrodden, he has enough for you. If you are hungry this morning, he has enough for you. He will heal you and make you whole. He made the Sabbath for you.
He has looked on the world and said, it is good, and he will make it so, surely, finally, and forever. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the generosity of your own life that you take upon yourself the brokenness of our own sin and you mend us, you heal us, and unite us in the power of your own life. And God, I pray that you would make us to be a people who are not easily satisfied, not easily consumed by the passing trinkets of this world who are not satisfied with self-seeking, who are not satisfied with the lie of the enemy, that we're not sure that God is good. Father, I pray that you would so kindly disabuse us of those false notions. Believe us of the tyranny of those lies. Father, I pray that you would call us to repentance in a way that we would do business with and be honest about the ways that we have set ourselves up as the God and provider for ourselves, that we would repent and do business for the ways that we have failed to take care of one another, look to one another with kindness and generosity, the ways that we have failed creation and failed to give rest to the land. Father, I pray that we would repent and find life in we thank you, Lord Jesus, that there is more than enough in you, that there is superabundance enough for us to live on for years and years and years. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Cause us once more to feast on you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we are grateful that you love us even more. We thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to be a 